I hope you have your Bibles, and uh, if you do, um, turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't, there should be one in the pew somewhere near you. If you need to pick one up, uh, feel welcome to grab one of those. It'll be the same version, uh, hopefully, it's ESV, the same version I'll be preaching out of. So, uh, as most of you know, I teach a class now at ACA. It's an Academy Christian, Ambassador Christian Academy in Mount Carmel, uh, a K through 12 school. And so I teach literature, which I never thought in the world that I would ever teach literature. Did you think that when you were in high school you would ever, ever teach literature? No, that was the least of my subjects. I wanted, you know, if I was gonna teach anything, it was gonna be math or science or physics or something like that. Not that I was too great in that, but the reason I got into literature is that this class originally started out being a uh, have a component of Bible in it. And so I think for uh, maybe state requirements or something, they have to have a literature class. So this class became literature. And I still teach Bible, but we also read books like uh, we read Tom Sawyer and uh, you know, Tale of Two Cities and things like that. But anyway, this last week we started in on the Epistles of John, which we've talked about in here and uh, we got we got to discussing some of the different things that is in the first book of John and one of those things is the talk about the Antichrist and Antichrist and Antichrist so as soon as we got on that you know the conversation about the rest of first John kind of stopped and we got really talking about end time events and it was just really good you know to let the students go that way and see their interest in the end times and see their interest in the Bible. And uh, so I look forward to that as we start Philippians. Not that we'll be talking about end times so much, but I think the book of Philippians is such a phenomenal book. It is definitely a book of great optimism and it's known to be a, a book which emphasizes great joy in the Christian life. It is also a book of great thanksgiving for the things that Paul has experienced from the people of Philippi. And it's a, a book of great encouragement. And I had, you know, I have to give a little side note because I'll probably make this mistake, but you ever look at a word and you think, how in the world do, I, do you say that word? I did that with Philippi last night, working on this lesson, working on this scripture. I thought, is it Philippi or is it Philippi. And so I finally had to draw myself a little picture on my notes up here of someone filling a pie because I think the pronoun the right way is Philippi. So I am filling a pie every time I say Philippi. And I'll probably say it the other way too. But anyway, this book is just a, a tremendous encouragement to us all in a book about joy as Paul speaks about his partnership with the Philippian church, the financial support that they give. The book of uh, Philippians really doesn't focus on any negatives, which is unusual for a letter that Paul writes to a church. Uh, it's mostly positive, it's mostly upbeat. It's all about the joy that we have in Christ. And this is all despite the fact that Paul is writing this from prison, right? He's writing the book of Philippians from prison and so he has so much joy. 
that I wanted to, I really wanted to spend a little bit more time on the background of this book. So we're going to read Philippians 1, 1 through 11, but we're actually going to be spending a lot of time back in Acts chapter 16, where it describes Paul's first encounter with Philippi and all the things that happened there. And I ended up coming up with eight lessons, which I believe show why Paul and the church of Philippi had such a great connection with one another. And so you have on your handout, you have eight lessons. And I didn't even, I went ahead and filled in the blanks for you so you don't even have to worry about that. You will notice on the back of your note page, there should be some maps and we'll talk about those in just a little bit. But we wanna talk a little bit about the background of this book before we get into it. But before we do that even, let's go ahead and stand and read our scripture today. And then uh, not next week, because Jake is preaching next week, but the following week, I definitely will pick up on these verses and preach specifically on these verses. But this will give us a frame of reference and then we'll also be turning to Acts chapter 16 and looking there as well. From Paul, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at this section of scripture, but not only this one, but see the beginnings, the very beginnings of the church at Philippi and how that came about and why this apostle has such great affinity and love for this particular church. And we hope to learn about it. We hope to have our eyes open and illuminated so that we can see what we should be like in this very difficult culture in which we live here today. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to apply what we will learn today and also the courage and the willingness for ourselves to change, to change more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not too difficult to figure out some basic things just from the verses that we read here today. But the authors, it's important to kind of know the authors most of the time of these books. The authors are Paul and Timothy, and more than likely, Paul wrote this, and Timothy was just kind of there supporting him. Sometimes, sometimes Timothy and others uh, would be a secretary for Paul. It's thought that Paul had bad eyesight and 
wasn't always able to write uh, or to read the way that he would have liked to done. And so sometimes co-authors would be a secretary for him. But uh, of course, Timothy being his sidekick, kind of the Batman Robin kind of scenario where Paul is Batman and, and, uh, and Timothy is Robin, uh, the sidekick and always following wherever he goes. Um, remember Timothy was from Lystra and his grandmother was Lois and his mother was Eunice and he was brought up in the faith and received Christ and became uh, a fellow traveler with Paul. Most likely this book is written from Rome during Paul's first imprisonment there. He was there actually two times. This is probably his first time at Rome. Um, this is probably written around 60, 62 AD. And so that makes it just about 10 years after the first time that he uh, visits Philippi. And so this is written to, what's it say? It says in verse two, verse number one, written to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And so that is my first lesson point is that the scripture, including Paul's letters, are for all believers, not just the officers of the church, right? Not just for the deacons, not for the overseers, which is another term for a pastor. It's not just for the higher up, so to speak, but this word of God is for all of us. And so we should read it with that in our minds and our hearts, and we should read it with the intent that it's calling us to be obedient to this as well. And so my first point, the scripture including Paul's letters are for all believers, not just for church officers. Paul earlier in his life, of course, traveled to Philippi and he did so on his second missionary tour or journey. You might remember he had three of those. And so on the second one, he actually visits Philippi Paul's companions on this trip were Silas and Timothy. And this trip took place about 49 to 51 AD. Like I said, about 10 years or so difference between his visit to Philippi and then his writing of this letter to the Philippian church. There was a third missionary journey, which says that Paul went to Macedonia, which is the province where Philippi is located. I had to believe that he probably visited them there as well, but he also visited Corinth, and Macedonia is a big province. It, it covers a big part of the country of Greece. And so it's possible that he didn't go to Philippi, but with such a close connection to them, it seems like he probably would. Philippi was located in the northeastern part of Greece, known as Macedonia. Paul and Silas and Timothy left Troas and they traveled about 135 miles across the Mediterranean Sea by way of the island of Samothrace to Neapolis. A final few miles were by land from Neapolis to Philippi. So if you turn your uh, note-taking page over, you can see two different maps. One above is a map that is zoomed out and you can see on the right, a uh, couple bodies of water down in the right-hand corner, very small, faint kind of bodies of water. That is the Dead Sea. And up a little bit further, 
by way of the Jordan River, you can see just a little pin dot is the Sea of Galilee. But you can see up in the very top, you can see the red line. That is actually Paul's voyage from Troas to Neapolis and then on to Philippi, which is about 140 miles. And the lower map shows that in more detail. So going back up to the upper one, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but Paul's plan, of course, they're leaving from the, the land of Jerusalem and then through Antioch, and then they're heading up into what is now Turkey, where you see Thyatira, and they're heading up in between those bodies of water, and their plan was to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that, and so they went around Mesia to Troas, and that's where everything began to change and to take a big change. And so uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit later, but that map I hope is helpful to see where we're at. Uh, Philippi was an important city that was a Roman colony, so it was different than most cities. Being a Roman colony, it meant that it was not subject really to the local government uh, or the provincial government is the proper name for it. In other words, it had the same rights as the cities in Italy because it was a Roman colony. And you can see that this is a key city for the church to say that it can have a church there. And I, I came up with this principle, which we deal with all the time, is that in our ministries, we must both think strategically and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> we must use our brains. And I think that Paul did that. I think he wanted to go to certain areas. He, he definitely is told, in, we're told in the scripture that he desperately wants to go to Rome and be in Rome so that he can preach the gospel because he knows that people in Rome, if they hear the gospel, they will take it to other parts of the Roman Empire and the gospel will spread. Well, it's kind of the same with Philippi, only on a smaller scale. But we, in our ministries, we must be both strategically, think strategically, and also follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so they do follow the Holy Spirit because this travel to Macedonia and to Philippi is a result of what has been referred to as the Macedonian call. Have you ever heard that? The Macedonian call of Paul going to Macedonia? Well, we're at that place right now in the scriptures in Acts chapter 16, verse seven. So I'd like to read that part of, of it for you because it picks up just where we have left off being at Troas. And it says in verse seven, it says, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, I would love to know how the spirit of, of Jesus did not allow them to go into Bithynia, but I don't exactly know how that works. I don't know if it was by verbal word, whether they, you know, the Holy Spirit put up a stop sign and said, don't go this way, you know, that's what I would need. I would need like a stop sign or something like that. I don't think it was that, but somehow the spirit told him, you're not gonna go right, but you're gonna to need to go left. And so they passed by Mysia and they went down into Troas. And so maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but they were not to go to Bithynia. 
And they go through Mysia, but they don't seem like they stopped there to preach the gospel to anyone. Now, maybe they did, and it's just not recorded. But it seems as though the Holy Spirit's got them on a particular mission. And we hear about that in verse 9, Acts chapter 16, verse 9. And it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul has this vision or this dream, and he sees a man in Macedonia saying, come over to us, we need your help. So by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he does not go to Bithynia, he goes to Mysia, but he does not stop, it seems, and preach the gospel to anyone. He goes directly to Troas, where he sees a vision given to him by the Holy Spirit that he is to immediately go on to Macedonia because they need help there and concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they could have taken a different route. They could have taken a land right route around, which would have been much longer, but did you notice that they left immediately and they went by the shortest distance and the fastest way possible. They went by boat and they traveled from there to Troas to Samothrace, right over to Macedonia. And I believe they wanted to do that because they wanted to get there as soon as possible. And so lesson number three that I took from this little event in Philippi or leading up to Philippi is that when prompted by the Holy Spirit, obey immediately for God's maximum blessing. Can you guys agree with that? That's good, that's, that's good advice, right? If you feel and you're reading in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do that something right now at the earliest convenient. Don't delay. If you delay, you're gonna miss that opportunity. We need to learn to obey immediately. And I don't know how many times I have done this. I don't know how many times I've heard people in this church say this, that they had an opportunity to say something about God or their relationship with Christ. And before they knew it, the moment was gone. And so we, we must learn to obey immediately for God's maxim, maximum blessing to happen. So here are some key events in Philippi that resulted in the church eventually being located. Remember in Philippi, there was no church at this time. And Paul goes there and he begins doing his ministry and the result is that there ends up being a church there. But the first event is that a woman, Lydia, becomes a believer, becomes a believer in Christ. She was a worshiper of God before that, but here she becomes a believer in Christ. And so we take up on our reading in verse 11, it says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following day to Neapolis. They made pretty good time, didn't they? A day or two to go 135 miles, that's pretty good by ship. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, when we went outside to the gate to the riverside, we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman, women who had come there. 
One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, I, th I think this is an amazing section of scripture. There's a lot of things going on here that God is orchestrating and bringing about. And Paul, it seems, is someone who is being totally led by the Holy Spirit because I see some things in here that you could say I'm reading into it, but I think there's a reason why after a few days they decided to go down to the river and talk to people and to have prayer. And that's because a river's a good place to baptize people, right? <laughs> I think he has such an expectant attitude that God is going to do something that he says, we better go somewhere where there's going to be water because we're going to be baptizing people today. And that's kind of the act attitude we need to have, right? And, and it's really easy, isn't it? It's, it's really easy in our world today where so many people reject the gospel to get the attitude, well, nothing's going to happen today. It's just going to be the same old day at church. But God wants to do great things in our midst, amen? He really wants to do great things in our midst. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. Here's a lady who's from a city called Thyatira, and that should, that should sound familiar. Remember, that's one of the churches that John addresses in the book of Revelation. So could it be that this lady became a Christian and went back and started the church in Thyatira? I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that wouldn't be the first time something like that had happened. But look how it all came about. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. So when we get distraught, when we're concerned about people that we love and we want them to come to know Christ, so many people ask me, what can we do? This is what we can do. We can pray that the Lord would open up their heart to pay attention to the gospel. And that happened. You might say, well, how does that happen? I'm not sure I know how that happens, except God is sovereign. He can open their heart so that they can pay attention. And the re result was that she and her household were all baptized. So it not, only, not only did she believe, but she and the, the disciples went and told the rest of her family and they were saved as well. And we can follow this model for our prayers. Lord, open their hearts that they might pay attention to the gospel. And this all comes from God. I love John chapter one, verses 11 through 13. Listen to this because it takes all responsibility for us trying to save someone and places it completely upon God. Uh, upon God. It's John chapter one, verse 11, it says, Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Did you know the Jews did not receive Jesus? They didn't receive him. They ultimately rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Bingo, right? That's what we're looking for. People who are born of God. 
William Carey, missionary to, un, to India, understood this idea of expecting great things from God. He's known for this quote. He says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's the way our church should be, right? We expect great things from God and we attempt great things for God. Expect God to do great things and act in faith accordingly. Secondly, not only did a woman, Lydia, become a believer, but Paul cast out a demon out of a girl. In verse 16, it says, as we were going from place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her, her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. No sooner had they been baptizing this family, talking to them at the river, being down at the place of prayer, then another situation comes up. A young girl who is, has a spirit of div divination is crying out and saying that these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. You would think that would make Paul glad, <laughs> but it gets on his nerves and he knows it's coming from a demon and not from someone who truly believes what they are saying. And so he commands in the name of Jesus for this spirit to come out of her. And it came out at the very hour. But the thing that really stood out to me here is that Paul was not afraid of the people who were gaining a profit from her, right? He knew that they were gaining a profit from her. He knew that if he cast out this demon, their profit center would be all gone. And so lesson number five I had down is don't fear the powerful, but fear God and obey him. <laughs> so simple, right? Difficult to do, I, I, I realize. But don't fear the powerful, but fear God and obey him. And we'll see that this group of people who are making money from this spirit, uh, spirit um, I don't want to say spirit-filled girl, but this demon-filled girl, uh, they're gaining a profit from her and they are powerful and they're going to show some of their power because Paul and Silas are shortly after that imprisoned. This is all one part of the story in, in Acts chapter 16. So here's what the story of them being imprisoned is like. It says, but when her owners saw that the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, they are being pretty crafty here, right? 
The real reason was the money. The real reason is Paul had taken away their source of money, but they made up these other things so that they would be thrown into prison, and they were. It's easy to get a, a crowd going against you, especially these days, right? You can have one word said against you and all of the internet, all of Facebook, all of Twitter comes down upon you until you relent and apologize or do something, right? But they didn't do that. They were prepared for persecution. They knew it came with the territory of being called a Christian. And so lesson number six is that if you are obeying God, expect and prepare for persecution. If you are obeying God, expect and prepare for persecution. If you're not obeying God, you're probably not going to be persecuted. So stay there if you want to be safe. But the word of God says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we don't call for persecution upon ourselves, do we? We don't go out seeking persecution or making enemies of others. But if we live a godly life, in this culture especially, we are going to stick out like a sore thumb. And we are going to be persecuted. So be prepared for it. Be prayed up for it. But don't disobey God. Rather, obey God. It's not the end of the story, though. God still wants to do great things, right? Paul and Silas' imprisonment leads to the jailer and his whole family being saved. You just can't stop Paul, right? Whatever circumstance he's put in, he's going to turn it to the good for the gospel. It was about midnight. Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God at midnight in the dark, in their stocks and chains, and the prisoners were listening to them. You think Paul knew they were listening to him? I think he probably knew they were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. I don't know if Paul saw that one coming or not. But there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up, into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I don't know about you, but I think Paul knew something that sometimes we, we don't. But when those doors would have opened, I think I would have gone out. <laughs> I think I would have been out of there. And I would have been saying, thank you God for opening those gates. But he stayed behind. Why do you think he stayed behind? For the jailer, right? He wanted to share the gospel with the jailer. And he did share the gospel with the jailer. He did tell them 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, both you and your household. Now, how did he know that the household was going to receive Christ? Or did somehow, the, was the whole household saved because one person got saved? No, this is just a prophecy of Paul saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to trust in Christ. And as a result of that, your whole family is going to come to know Christ as well. And that's exactly what happened. But it doesn't come without hardship, does it? So my lesson number seven is acknowledge that winning souls is most often inconvenient and difficult work, but also the most joyful of all things. And you can say, how can those two go together? But it does. There, I mean, there's nothing more joyful, at least in my estimation, for a Christian than he to see someone come to Christ and to lead that person to Christ. But it doesn't come without inconvenience and difficult work. And that's exactly, I think, what Paul demonstrates to us here today, is that if we truly love people, we'll be willing to stay back in the jail with them in order to lead them to Christ. So acknowledge that winning souls is the most often inconvenient and difficult work, but also the most joyful of all things. Finally, Paul and Silas are leaving uh, Philippi. Verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go in peace. <laughs> Paul. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, no. <laughs> Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them nicely to leave their city. <laughs> I add a little bit there. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And the thing that I noticed about this is first of all, Paul stood up for his rights, right? He was a Roman citizen. He had certain rights. It's not wrong for us to stand up for our rights and, and to fight for those rights. But what is even more important I think to Paul is his reputation. He didn't want to be known as a rebel, rebel rouser, stirring people up, a troublemaker. He wanted to be known as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wanted to live his life in such a way that he was example to others of what Jesus is like. And so lesson number eight is our reputations are important because we call ourselves Christians and Christians is just a word for little Christ. Our whole purpose in this earth is to model what Jesus Christ is like to others. Amen. And that's what he wanted to do. That's why he threw such a fuss. And so I think those eight things are important for us to learn today. Real quickly, I'll go over them again. The scripture, including Paul's letters, are for all believers, not for church officers. In our ministries, we must think 
strategically and follow also the leading of the Holy Spirit, and those two never are at odds with one another, I don't think. When prompted by the Holy Spirit, obey immediately for God's maximum blessing. William Carey, missionary to India, said, "Great, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect God to do great things and act in faith accordingly. Number five, don't fear the powerful, but fear God and obey him. Number six, if you are obeying God, expect and prepare for persecution. Number seven, acknowledge that winning souls is most often inconvenient and difficult work, but also the most joyful of all things. And number eight, our reputation are important because we call ourselves Christians or little Christ. And so how does this relate to the book of Philippians? Well, I think it shows just how much Paul appreciated the church at Philippi and the history goes a long way to explaining why Paul is so passionate about the church at Philippi and why he loves them so much and gives them such an encouraging letter. And we'll find out more about that in a couple of weeks when we come back to Philippians. But for now, let's close in order of prayer. And there may be one of these lessons. I don't expect everyone to rush out and say, I'm going to do all of these eight lessons right now. But if there's one or two of those that you feel like you need to work on, then uh, you know, make that commitment to work on those things. And I believe God will bless that. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that if you were separated or died, that you would not be with Christ, then we offer that to you here today. And uh, the gospel message is simple and clear and plain. It's that salvation is through faith in Christ alone, that he alone was the one who died on a cross as a penalty, uh, paying the penalty for our sins. And that on the third day he rose from the dead, vindicating and God showing that his sacrifice was acceptable. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ in him, then we become a new creation in Christ and we are no longer separated from God, but we have him in our, uh, our spirit is, mold, is uh, melded with his spirit and we belong to him and he belongs to us. And so if you need to make that decision, we ask that you would do that today. Day is this day of salvation. It's not something to be put off. But as we go to word, uh, Lord in prayer, uh, you deal with the Holy Spirit as he is speaking to you today. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to look at this history between Paul and the church at Philippi. And it's so interesting to see all of the lessons that we've learned and the same lessons that this church at Philippi must have learned as well. And it shows to us why Paul is so close to this church and admires them and wants to encourage them. And we pray that you would help us to learn from this as well today, that we wouldn't just brush it off and, and forget about it by this evening, but that we would think about this all week, about how we can uh, apply what we have learned to, uh, to our life so that we might be more like Christ that we might be ready for every situation as Paul was ready. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.